American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. So now I'm obsessed with time. Come on, tell me about the time. Had it all in my head tonight. Had the time of my life when the words all come down. I'm bringing a Moscow Mule. This is Moscow Mule number two. It's a can. You can get them at the liquor store now with uh, ginger beer, vodka, and lime juice in a can. Vodka. So pretty cool. Nice. So welcome to episode 174 of American Timelines by History for Jerks. I am joined this week to cover April 1954 by two, count them, two History for Jerks all-stars. Two. Two, two, two. Not one, two. Dos. <laughs> we've got from the Gruff and Loud show. We've got Gruff back to help co-host this episode. I don't and, know why I'm waving. And welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> He's waving on the Zoom call. And please welcome back from the Nerd School. We've had him on American Timelines once before. Ladies and gentlemen, Art Star from the Nerd School. Artemis Finally, <laughs> Art Star has returned to American timeline. <laughs> it's been too long for both of you guys. Uh, I've been I've been prepping all week just to do my really bad rock impression. <laughs> all week I'm prepping. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, and you didn't even say anything about smelling what you're cooking. Oh no, I just wanted to do the finally part. I just wanted <laughs> to do the finally part. You know, because because one one it buys into the greatness that I am. And I know if TBJ happens to hit his episode, she's going to be like, he had to do it. He had to do it. You know? So, One of these times I got to have you and TBJ both on American Timelines. It'll be just to let you guys. It'll be hectic. It'll be so out. hectic. All right. Well, as you guys know, we go through uh, American history year by month by month, year by year. And we left off in March of 1954. So now we're in April of 1954. And I think this might be the first episode where there's not uh, we're not really talking about a murder or a rape uh, oh wow i sort of allude to some crime i have okay. a a um uh what do you call it a, a defection uh a russian uh defection to australia uh, I guess was there any killing true crime uh there's some rape there is some rape, some rape. oh so uh, I'm not sure if there's some. There I mean, there's some. probably some crime that didn't make the news. Well, so. yeah, 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 yeah. I do that have a plane crash. I've got some death, but I got some birthdays. But let's start off April 1954 with something. Are we ready for the first birthday? I'm yeah. always. Ready you guys for like birthday. birthdays? I'm a fan of birthdays. I'm not. Oddly enough, my birthday is this Wednesday. I'm oh, excited. Your coming up, Art Star. Holy right. shit. I'm Happy excited early for my birthday, Art Star. Why, why, thank you. I'm excited for my birthday, but when it comes to other birthdays, I can't. Actually, Cal Ripken's birth. I'm a big fan of Cal Ripken. His birthday is August 24th, 1960. That's, that's my, yeah. Just throwing so. it out there. This is a Baltimore. This guy's from Baltimore, Art Star. So, oh, yeah. of course, you're right. a Cal Ripken fan. But this okay. episode will be coming out on your birthday. So, happy hey. birthday to Art Star, everybody. Thank you. Happy uh, birthday. If you're listening to this episode, reach out to Artstar <laughs> on Twitter and wish him happy birthday. It's at 
Art Star version nine. Art Star V9, rather. Art Star yeah. at Art Star V9 on Twitter. Okay. Uh, yeah. So w- reach out, wish him a happy birthday, start following him. Uh, he's always tweeting. Start about- following Nerd School. Yep. He's tweeting toys and stuff. So, yeah. So, uh, okay, we got our first birthday. So I'm going to play the intro music, even though uh, we can't change the lyrics to Steve Bishop doesn't mind birthdays. Or Gruff, <laughs> Gruff doesn't mind birthdays. Or Art Star kind of only cares about his own birthday. Hey. He's selfish. <laughs> no, there's Cal Ripken, too. Oh, yeah, that's Cal Ripken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He cares about Cal Ripken. April 2nd, 1954, American actor and teacher, best known for his role as the endearingly dim-witted character Arnold Horshack on the ABC sitcom <gasps> Welcome Back, Cotter, Ron Palillo was born. Yeah! You know who that Mr. is? Mr. Cotter! Oh, 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 Mr. Cotter! Mr. Cotter! Mr. Cotter! That's one of that the was much better than mine. Don't worry, the only impressions I do is as uh, Ron Palillo. He was born in New Haven, Connecticut to Italian-Americans Gabriel and Carmel Paolillo and raised in nearby Cheshire. He graduated from Cheshire High School, red and white, team colors, home of the Rams. Notable I think alumni. they'll be the Cats. Notable alumni include Brad Osmus, Major League Baseball All-Star catcher and manager. Are you familiar with him, Art Star? I am familiar with Brad Osmus. Played with the Tigers, coached the Tigers, coached San Diego. Boom, big fan. Nice. Another notable alumni is Alan Hoskins, CEO of Energizer. Are you familiar with Energizer batteries, Steve? I am. I I prefer Duracell or Endoloop (laughs) rechargeables, but I am am aware. Anyway, Ron Palillo, uh, would he, uh, he went to the University of Connecticut at Storrs where he would later teach in the 1990s. Uh, he attended Fairfield University while pursuing a postgraduate degree, and he adopted the last name Palillo, even though his name was Paolillo, for his acting career. So now you guys know that about Ron Palillo. He wore red and white, home of the Rams. And Thank that's you. all the time we have. We appreciate <laughs> you taking the time to listen. Okay, April Come 3rd. Come back 19- next time when it's... Actually... Oh, sorry. On April 3rd, the next day after Ron Palillo was born. Ron Palillo is a newborn baby at the hospital. And the very next day, a rope climbing record was made. So, yeah, rope climbing, a sport in which competitors attempt to climb up a suspended vertical rope using only their hands. It's practiced regularly at World Police and Fire Games and currently enjoying a resurgence in France where competitions are held in shopping centers. Uh, yeah enthusiasts in the czech republic resurrected the sport in 1993 and they hold local and national competitions according to usagymlegacy.org no one will ever climb a 20-foot rope faster than don perry's world record on april 3rd 1954 of 2.8 seconds in competition wow 20 feet in 2.8 seconds that's just your arms Fucking recalculus. <laughs> that is fast. The upper body strength must be like yeah. amazing. Yep. He was a four-time national AAU champion, two-time NCAA champion, and a world and rope climber. Yep. Well, 
I guess. I guess. Well, I mean, like you probably did it, other it, stuff too. Uh, but this is a world record-setting performance. Oh, he had a world second record-setting performance at the 1955 Pan American Games after a three-day battle with flu-like symptoms, and made him one of the greatest of all time in the in his event. Yeah, which is this, I guess. Uh, and by his career's end, he had an unofficial 95 and 0 record. Nobody ever beat him at rope climbing. Wow. Don Perry. Damn. Now you know Don Perry's name. Hey, ladies, I'm a Don Perry, and I can climb a rope, climb a rope in less than three seconds. <laughs> I will say, climb rope school, faster than Don Perry, man. Bullshit. Elementary <laughs> school, I was one of the few kids that could climb all the way up to the in the gym. And ring the Did you have, was there a bell up there that you had to yeah, ring? We had a bell, yeah. and I could climb up there. But it was more than anything; it was the heights that I wanted to stop. But I could do it. Mm-hmm. I was scared to get down. I remember. <laughs> I can't. I can't remember ever even really trying. I think yeah, after I, they saw me like kind of like <laughs> waddle back and forth on the pegboard, they were just like, "Never, he's not gonna do it." Yeah, I looked at that rope and I was like, "Fuck that! I ain't climbing that shit." Yeah, no, I, ain't, I, ain't, I ain't trying to get no, rope burned. No, no. When they had open gym, I I sat yeah. in a corner and used my imagination. You know, that's why I, I, I exercised my imagination. All right, that same day on April third, we're gonna get into this KGB. Uh, oh, the defection. Australian defection. Okay. This was called, this is known as the Petrov affair. It was a Cold War spy incident in Australia concerning the defection of Vladimir Petrov, who was a KGB officer from the Soviet embassy in Canberra, Australia in 1954. And Petrov, despite his relatively junior diplomatic diplomatic status, was a colonel in what became the KB, KGB in 1954. It was uh, it was the Soviet secret police, if you don't know what that is, but everybody knows what that is. Right. And his, his wife was an MVD. I don't know if you've heard of that. I haven't. But it's, I have it's, not either. It's the Ministry of Internal Affairs in Russia. I'm okay. not sure what the letter stands for. But well, uh, it, you know. the Petrovs had been sent to the Canberra Embassy in Australia in 1951 by the Soviet security chief Lavrentria Beria. Lavrentria Beria was an awful piece of shit, I think. Uh, he had a trial <laughs> in 1953 and it became known that he committed numerous rapes during the years he was the NKVD chief. Uh, a biographer of Stalin named Simon Seabag. Seabag Montefiore <laughs> Montefiore uh, concluded that information reveals that a sexual predator who uses power to indulge himself in obsessive depravity is who Berea was. After his death, char- these charges of sexual abuse and rape were disputed by people close to him, including his wife, Nina, and his son. However, according to official testimony in Soviet archives, uh, two of Beria's bodyguards, they gave testimony that said on warm nights during the war, Beria was often driven around Moscow in his limousine. He would point out young women that he wanted to be taken to his mansion, where wine and a feast awaited them. After dining, Beria would take the women into a soundproof office and rape them. 
His wow. bodyguards reported that their duties included handing each victim a flower bouquet as she left the house. Accepting it implied that the sex had been consensual and refusal would mean arrest. Damn. So this is the fucking guy that sent the Petrovs to Australia from yeah. Russia. This was this was the shittiest of bosses. Yes. Like it's all around. Like, yeah. It's just to know that what kind like of Like even if he treated them well, he was a shitty boss. But okay, so after Joseph Stalin's death in March of 1953, Beria had been arrested and shot by Stalin's successors. And so Vladimir Petrov, who's here in Australia, evidently feared that if he returned to the Soviet Union, he would be purged as a Beria man. Like they'd be like, oh, he was one of this guy, the guy's dudes. So yeah. We're going to just kill him. So Petrov made contact with the Australian Security Intelligence Organization, the ASIO. And he offered to provide evidence of Soviet espionage in exchange for political asylum. The defection was arranged by Michael Bialogowski. <laughs> okay. He was a Polish doctor and musician who I looked him up a little bit. He turns out he desperately wanted to be a conductor, but he kind of sucked at being a conductor, but he, ins- <laughs> but he insisted that he, he kept trying to be a music conductor. Good for and him. He, and he would even hire symphonies just so he could conduct. And he would always get, <laughs> lukewarm reviews and everything thought he was terrible, but he wanted to be a conductor. That's that's this guy's passion. And so he uh, was a part-time ASIO agent who had cultivated Petrov for nearly two years, befriending him, befriending, befriending <laughs> him, befriending him and taking him to visit prostitutes in Sydney King's Cross area. So oh, yeah. So I just recently I was watching a like I, I love British television <laughs> and Australian television. Yeah. And there was this series that was, I want to say, probably around that time frame, where you know they would have like digger dignitaries going to Australia and they would get prostitutes for them to so to, to like grieve their proms, so to speak, to get them to like transport people back and forth between uh Russia, not Russia, between Britain and Australia. And I'm yeah. like, it's kind of ironic to hear you talk about that also going on with Russia and Australia. Maybe, maybe it was just a general tactic. Like, yeah. hey, yeah. you know, first Are step you saying liquor, you think second step hookers. You think it's more funny that you were just watching something about that and we're talking about that? Is that what's funny? No, I don't want to say it's funny. Maybe I should ironic. It was not funny, ha ha. Not funny, funny right? Right. Yeah. right. I don't. I don't want. I don't want this to give back to TBJ. Yeah. And I, I was thinking getting, that same thing. I don't want to get canceled. And you're problematic. Yeah. I'm a Sith, so I don't want to get canceled as a Sith. Yes. Hey, man. People stop understanding after the Gray Jedi. That's just. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So Bialagoski introduced Petrov to a senior ASI officer. Ron Richards, who was born in Nottingham, England, and then moved to Australia at age 21 and joined the Western Australian police in 1928. I couldn't find anything interesting about Ron Richards. There was no scandals. There was no raping. There was no Maybe conducting. That's just he was a good guy that did his job. He did. He does seem like from what I could find was like a very heroic, like police man that like did his job well and worked for years in intelligence. 
Uh, he married an older lady. He had a, he lost a child, a, a baby, you know, uh, I, I mean, did he is. lose the baby or did the baby die? Like no, a, a disease or died. something? Yeah, or did he misplace like, the baby? No, no, it just died <laughs> of a disease or something. Okay. It, it well, died I mean, as an Australia is chock full of poison. Yes. Chock you know, full like, of nuts too. Eh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know about that. And, but, like, and Nutella. Nuts. Isn't chock or Nutella is delicious. Not Nutella. Vegemite. Vegemite, isn't Vegemite, it Vegemite yeah. is terrible. I'll tell you. Have you guys ever had Vegemite? I have, I have never not. had it Vegemite. It looks disgusting. The only reason I had Vegemite is because my daughter, they, the cool thing about the local elementary school my kids go to is they have a, a teacher exchange program huh. where every couple of years, there's a teacher from another country that shows up and That's pretty cool. it's just, you don't know who's going to get the kid or get the teacher. But my daughter got, they had mrs beverage before from scotland ah. and then that miss miss beverage and beverage then, is great none of my what kids she what she what she had <laughs> she was actually i will say <laughs> at risk of sounding like a creep she was cute she was pretty oh, i okay. think but none of my kids got her <laughs> so you wish so you would say that she was a hot beverage <laughs> she was a tasty beverage. Oh, that sounds even. Oh, oh that sounds oh, worse. Oh, oh, she yeah. it sounds worse than pretty. I think icy, icy. No, that's awful. No, that's anyway, just, she's yeah. she was a very attractive young woman that probably was very nice to people. Uh, but my kids never got her. They all wanted to be in her class, and they. Did. But then my daughter got to be in the next exchange guy a teacher it was Mister Mister Bridge. It's almost like they're fake names. Mr. Right. Mr. Bridge. <laughs> well, I mean, they could be because <laughs> fuck Americans. You know, they don't right. know. Maybe, maybe it's some kind of underground secret spy program. Or they could be part of OSI. What is maybe it? OSI? A- maybe ASIO. ASIO. What is OSI? OSI is some other um, clandestine organization. But this one. OSI was- reminds me of the Venture Brothers. Oh, <laughs> maybe that's their guy. That. <laughs> You Vegemite told me to watch that. Genius. Yeah, on Gruff and Loud, you told me to watch that. So I started watching it. It's very, oh. very good. Uh, anyway, so Mr. Bridge is from Australia, and my daughter got to have him. And he gave all the kids at the end of the school year, he all he gave them all a little bit of Vegemite. <laughs> as like a, it was great to have you. Here's my Australian heritage. <laughs> and it was, I, so I got to try it, and it was terrible. I have not heard anything good about Vegemite. I have not either. It looks like Nutella, so you're expecting that flavor. See, maybe that's why it's horrible. It's because you're expecting (laughs) Nutella. Yeah. I'm sure if I was starving in a desert and I had nothing else, I would love Vegemite. Yeah. If you're stuck in the fucking outback. And and if you grew up with water and Vegemite, you'd be like, thank fucking God for this water and Vegemite. Anyway, so this Ron Richards guy who was an, a senior ASIO officer who was born in England, but moved to Australia at 21 and joined the Australian police. He offered Petrov asylum plus $5,000 or pounds in exchange for all the documents he could bring with him from the embassy. Planning for Petrov's defection was codenamed Operation Cabin 12 after a briefer period of being designated Operation Cabin 11, following a standard practice for referring to potential defectors as cabin candidates. Petrov defected on this day, April 3rd, 1954, officially. And there's a little bit more on this that I'm going to, that happens later in the month. So we'll put this aside for now. 
Okay. To and be continued. To be continued in the in the rest of the later in this episode. Just listening oh. to this story, yeah. like I was just thinking, I'm like, I'm wondering how much of stuff like this happens today in country. Like you may like you see it in pop culture, like on television shows, mm-hmm. but how much is it really like, you know, down the street, your next door neighbor is like in a CIA or something? Like well, how much of that is, you know, yeah. real nowadays? And here's something. If someone told you that they worked with or for, would you believe them or be like, no, nah, fuck them. They're full of shit. Right. You know, right. It's like, that's that, you know, that, no, that dude's just fucking talking shit. Right. He's, a, he's an analyst. What the fuck are you talking about? There was, yeah. a, there was a guy in my neighborhood a few years back. I, I'll never forget this. I could be remembering this wrong because it doesn't seem like you would say this to somebody but he was uh so i live in this neighborhood that's like a circle and it's right behind my elementary school and there's a trail that goes to the school so i was the only person in the whole neighborhood that walked their kids so every day i walked the two kids and pretty soon other parents would be like hey you walk the kids to school can my kids go with you sure and so i would walk there and, and, uh, so i was joe's like, yeah. just meeting a bunch of kids joe, joe a team leader I did, and then I would take my dogs at the same time. So I had like my dogs and like four kids, five kids behind me, kids of all races and nationalities. It's like, wonderful. It's just like this whole like creepy ass Pied Piper. But there was one other guy that started walking too, and I was like, "Well, this is weird." weird. You know, and then like we're like, "I'm right behind you," and like you're right in front of me. Like so, then we just started kind of walking together. He was a big, heavy guy, and he had just little tiny girls, like. They must have been like preschool or something at the school because they only he only went there a couple of days and we started talking. I don't know how we got to talking about what you do for a living, but he said, yeah, I'm a spy. I I was in Italy for a couple of years and I was just in I thought he said it was Russia or something. But so now I'm here for a while, but I'll have to go back in a year or two. But I was like. Should you be telling me that? She's <laughs> like, like uh, uh, okay. Yeah, well, uh, that's yeah. Are you going? To, am I going to get shot now because I know this? Yeah, I was kind of like, I don't, <laughs> is there a line you shouldn't cross so you don't have to? This is <laughs> a couple of these kids are here's, blind. Here's the thing, Joe. Joe, you're you're like the type of guy that if someone doesn't even know you, they just want to walk up to you. And befriend you because <laughs> yeah. you look like you're a good time, Joe. You look like a good guy. I bet, hey, I'm a spy. <laughs> but the guy's gone. Like he moved. I, I have. I saw him like maybe three or four times that semester uh-huh. or whatever it was. And this was a couple years ago. And I've never seen him again. I Is know it, somebody else lives in that house now because. Or he could just be crazy. He could have just been crazy. Maybe he was could've a just be like, right? And then, and like, like, yeah, you know, I'm a spy. It could have been like I got. I'm here for a couple of years before I before me and my kids are fucking off. I'm just gonna fuck with everyone. I know there right. is. There's a small chance that was a dream I had. I was tired around that time. I wasn't getting a lot of sleep, so maybe it was a dream. But I think that's what he you were said. just. It was when you were watching Burn Notice and Sopranos. It was early in the morning. You're just having this weird James Gandolfini, Michael Weston combo character. <laughs> it was very early in the morning, so maybe I misheard him. Maybe he said he was something else. Maybe he said he was a. A fry cook, right? Right. Could have, been, said, <laughs> could have said he has a a fry cook that was learning different techniques around the world. Yeah, 
I think right. that's what he said. But I've told my wife she doesn't believe me. Like everything's not making it up. <laughs> maybe I am making it up. I don't know. It, does the house exist? No, the house you, is said still there. Else <laughs> you said someone else's. But I haven't house. seen that guy in it. Uh, I, I haven't mean, seen anybody really in it. I've seen a couple people in it, but not. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I mean, but this there's a lot of. I'm in like a transitional neighborhood, I think. Like I'm Yeah, in a, no, you're in a nice, quiet, tucked away quiet, neighborhood. And it's affordable. That's just close enough and just far enough away. Yeah. I live yeah. in a neighborhood that's like moderately priced housing in an area where there's it's either all around me is either tiny shacks and mobile homes or like mansions yeah like neighborhoods of mansions or it's like the or very, neighborhoods very that are the very, people very that work in those mansions yeah yeah that you know can't afford the fucking gas to live but mine is like the right. only neighborhood yeah. where normal people can afford no your neighborhood hard. is very nice so i got that i i got that i got a sense of that just you know when we was on our way up there i was like without telling pbj like man it looks like like every every area seemed like a different world like like this looks different. Like, wow, look at that yard. And then it's like, oh, look at this. But then there's there's like there, was it a, a Walgreens? Just, like everything just seemed it seemed like like almost like um West Western on WandaVision. It was almost like this yeah. this area oh, was yeah, just no, made. Was... Like literally was just made. Yeah, yeah it was, it's, it's, it was like, like one of those yeah. definite I've seen this before. In my <laughs> right. dreams, right, yeah. right. It's like no. a made-up. It's like yeah, a it's beautiful, dude. It, it, like it I remember it, yeah. when you said I found a neighborhood where my kids can play in the until the streetlights come on, and you sent me a picture. I, I was like, "Fuck you!" That's like from Big. Well, and right. all the, like all the screenshot. All yeah, the electrical lines are buried, so it's beautiful. And there's hills, and there's trees, and the kids Ooh. did like when they we yeah. moved here. They just went outside and rode bikes with other kids and came home and it was dark like the old days. It's like this tucked away. It is like WandaVision town. Yeah. <laughs> but the because, fucking, I love the fact that they buried the wires. That's fucking genius. It's awesome. But because it's this been middle doing that for fucking decades, it's this affordable middle class neighborhood. It's I feel like life. everybody here is either on their way up or on their way down. So we get Whoa. people that have like, oh, I had it all and I'm now I'm broke and I have to live here. Or people <laughs> are like, I've been broke my whole life, but I finally got enough money to live here. That's like this like middle ground of like hey dude, I I feel bad for people that are broke and live there. That's yeah. you know, I'm broke now. It's like fuck you, buddy. Well, yeah, we had, we had, I, yeah. I, like me and my friends used to drive over here to go trick or treating. Right. Well, that's <laughs> it. Most of the people that live here drive to richer neighborhoods to trick or treat, and then the the poorer people come to this neighborhood to oh, trick or treat. That's nice. So it's like this weird like it's, we a, trickle trickle up. it's a trickle up. And there's some people that just go to every neighborhood, but anyway, but we don't have, I mean, this isn't the kind of neighborhood where they hang out full candy bars. Right. <laughs> that's where my kids No, that's go. where you, the other kids yeah. go. Yeah, yeah, that's where they go. Yeah. So, all right. Anyway, you never hands a box of raisins. <laughs> I hand every out now and they get an apple and an orange. Right. All right. A pencil. Back to a pencil. <laughs> oh, I hated it when I got a pencil. You'd get like a Halloween pencil. Like, I don't want a fucking pencil. Right. This is the store. A Halloween pencil and an orange. Oh, <laughs> I hated that fucking pencil. All right. Okay. We got another birthday. April birthday. 7th. Birthday. 
1954. We'll see if you can guess who this is. Just shout it out when you know who this is. All right. And think about Bill Bixby. <laughs> you're not going to wait for any clues. You're going to guess birthdays. <laughs> who did you guys already guess? I said Bill Bixby. <laughs> okay. So think about it. these. This person was born April 7, 1954. So think of the age they are now. They're like almost 70. They'll be 70 in 2024. All right. So this person. Was born in Hong Kong as Chan Jackie Chan. Dang. Whoa. Jackie. Jackie Chan, it is. Nice. He was born <laughs> Chan Kong Sang to Charles and Lee Li Chan, refugees from the Chinese Civil War. His parents were so poor they had to borrow money from friends to pay the doctor. <coughs> Damn. His parents nicknamed him Pow Pow because his Pow Pow. En- the energetic child was always rolling around. His parents worked for the French ambassador in Hong Kong. In 1960, his father emigrated to Canberra, Australia. Hey. What are the chances of talking about Canberra, Australia twice in one month uh, to work as the head cook for the American embassy? And Chan was sent to the China Drama Academy, a Peking opera school run by Master Yu Jim Yuen. Chan trains rigorously for the next decade, excelling in martial arts and acrobatics. He eventually became part of the Seven Little Fortunes, a performance group made up of the school's best students, gaining the stage name Yuen Lo in homage to his master. Chan then joined his parents in Canberra, Australia in 1976, where he briefly attended Dixon College. Notable alumni include Garth Nix, author of young adult fantasy novels, and he worked as a construction worker. A fellow builder named Jack took Chan under his wing, thus earning Chan the nickname of Little Jack, later shortened to Jackie, which has stuck with him ever since. That's how he got nice. Jackie Chan. Pretty awesome. How about that? Mm. Was that exciting to know? No, I, that I, exciting. That's, that's that was very exciting. exciting. I didn't know most of that about Jackie Chan. Well done, Art. Even better. All right. You got it yeah. so quick out the gate. Yeah, dude. That was like. <laughs> I think both of you guys, one thing you guys probably have in common is I think you guys both like kung fu movies. I oh, do yeah. enjoy I, I do enjoy kung fu movies. Yeah. You don't like kung fu movies, Joe? I, I do, but I'm not like uh not as much as you two. No, he, he had to deal with me a lot. Who's <laughs> I've been a fan of Bruce Lee. I, mm-hmm. I every Bruce Lee to Jean-Claude Van Damme, I don't give a fuck. You know, right. Like, That's amazing. Yeah, kicks and punches. I'm in. Yeah. All right. Then we're going to move to April 8th. We got a lot to cover, and I'm just going real slow here. April 8th, 1954. I'll burn through this one fast. A Trans Canada Airlines Flight 9, a Canada Air C4 North Star four engine commercial prop liner on a domestic regular scheduled flight, collided in midair with a Royal Canadian Air Force. Harvard Holy Mark II shit. single engine military trainer on a cross country navigation exercise over Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. Both aircraft crashed. A large section of the C 4 North Star fell on a home in the suburbs of Moose Jaw and killed the one occupant of that home. And the Harvard came down on a golf course. All 35 people in the airliner were killed, as was a lone occupant of the trainer and the one person that was in their house. Investigators later stated the most likely cause of the accident was the failure of both pilots to see and avoid each other. <laughs> wow. Safe bet. 
That's a safe That's bet. They probably crashed. I bet they didn't see each other. That's probably why they didn't avoid each other. That's- well, have you guys <laughs> ever heard of Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan? I want to say I have. When you said Moose Jaw, I, I immediately thought of Welcome to Mooseport. I thought of the, the Ray Romano thing, and then I was yeah. like, no, yeah. maybe Dudley <laughs> Do-Right. You know, right. Okay. Maybe yeah. some Dudley Do-Right thing or Northern Exposure. Oh, yeah. that I was getting a Northern Exposure vibe or... Uh, uh, what was that show? Twin Peaks, like that kind of. Uh, I I I thought I didn't think Twin Peaks was cold enough to be Canadian. Maybe not. Uh, yeah. Fargo, maybe. Anyway, Fargo the, was accident was North was, Dakota. Yeah, this yeah. was a catalyst. In Minnesota, Minnesota. This accident was a catalyst for changes in aviation practices in the airspace near Moose Jaw. <laughs> um, Good. A new regulation was implemented requiring aircraft flying in opposite directions to maintain separate altitudes. Sounds like that would make sense, right? <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's a good idea. How about we not, you know, fly head on to yeah. each other? Like, I want I'll everyone go going one. west stay at this height, and everyone going east stay around here. Just try it for a, a bit. A little bit about Moose Jaw. Their residents are called Moose Javians. Moose Javians. Moose Javians. And notable people from Moose Jaw include Art Linkletter. Ooh. Oh, Art. Good old Art Linkletter. Yeah. Art Linkletter. He was abandoned when only a few weeks old in Moose Jaw. And he was adopted by Marion Fulton, John Linkletter, and an evangelical preacher. Then later moved to San Diego when he was little. But he's originally from Moose Jaw. Nice. Another Canadian brings yeah. smiles and joy to America. <laughs> That's what right. What the fuck, man? Just like Michael J. Fox. Yeah. And John Candy. John Candy and Martin Short. Yep. Ryan Reynolds. Letter Kenny. <laughs> to be fair. To be fair. April Friday, April 9th, we got another birthday. Born in Houston. Another birthday. This guy was born in Houston, Texas. See if you can guess who it is. The son of Juanita B. Nita and a, a real estate agent and William Rudy, an electrician. He I attended don't know. he attended Paul <laughs> W. Horn Elementary School in Bel Air and Pershing Middle School in Houston. He studied Mandarin and dance at Bel Air High School in Bel Air, Texas. Their team colors are red and white, home of the Cardinals. Notable alumni at this school include Chuck Knobloch and Cindy Pickett. I know Chuck Knobloch. Yeah. Yeah. You know I him. don't know Cindy Pickett. She played the mom in Ferris Bueller. Oh, well, all right. Uh, and later, this gentleman's whose last name is Quaid dropped out of the University of Brandy. <laughs> Dennis Quaid. Oh, it's Dennis. It was yeah. one of them. He dropped out of the one of those Quaid boys of Houston yeah. before graduating and moved to Hollywood to pursue. An I didn't act- know he acting career. So he studied Mandarin. Yeah, apparently. That's that's and to dance. me that's an interesting fact. Mandarin yeah. and dance at Bel Air High School. Nice in, te- in Texas. Yeah. He, no uh, yeah, and actually, he dropped out of the University of Houston. Uh. And moved to Hollywood to pursue an acting career. And he initially had trouble finding work, but but began to gain notice when he appeared in Breaking Away and earned good reviews for his role as astronaut Gordon Cooper in The Right Stuff. That's what I should have said instead of saying his name, Quaid, to see if you could guess it. 
but I figured yeah, I probably wouldn't have been able to yeah, either. I, I definitely I forgot he was in right stuff. Yeah, I want to see <laughs> those movies now because uh Randy Dennis Quaid is would would I say he's the normal Quaid? <laughs> <laughs> By comparison, yeah. 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 April twelfth, nineteen fifty-four. Four. Sorry. No. Uh, it was the eighth NBA championship. The Minnesota Lakers, the Minneapolis Lakers beat the Syracuse Nationals four games to three. That same day, Bill Haley and the Comets recorded Rock Around the Clock. Nice. Well, historic. Well, I mean, it wasn't the eleventh. Well, these guys were booked to the uh booked into the Pythian Temple Studio, a converted Masonic temple in downtown New York, to record two songs. 13 women and rock around the clock that afternoon. The band got stranded at the Delaware river when their ferry ran aground, they arrived at the studio hours late with time running out. Milt Gabler had a stake in the publishing of 13 women. So he spent most of the session on it instead of rock around the clock. Two takes were cut on the B side with Haley shouting out his vocal above the raucous joy of the band. Comets bass player, Marshall Lytle recalled in Haley's bio. We spent two and a half hours on the A side. 13 women and 30 minutes on the B side. And in 30 minutes, we came up with what is now the anthem of rock and roll. Oh yeah. So how about that? No, it's, it's... And the same day that that was recorded, April 12th, Joe Turner released shake, rattle and roll. And Atlantic shake, records. Saw rattle, rattle and roll. And roll. Yeah. That's the shake, first time shake, that rattle, rattle and roll. And roll. Yep. Oh, uh, honky talk, man. Uh, an, an Atlantic Records songwriter producer named Jesse stone under the name Charles Calhoun, wrote that specifically for Big Joe Turner and uh, his New York recording session. Big Joe preferred, rec- preferred recording on the road. This was his first Big Apple session in 18 months. So shake, rattle, and roll, just so you know, was a favorite saying in Stone's weekly poker game. And while the song is ostensibly about dancing and having a good time, there are a lot of sexual overtones, especially in these lyrics which maybe you guys can tell me what the sexual part is of this. Uh, one-eyed cat peeping in a seafood store. <laughs> uh, the drum, Stones drummer Baby Lovett provided that line. What is one-eyed cat peeping in a seafood store? What is that? Uh, I'm assuming the seafood store is the woman's nether region. <laughs> the one-eyed cat is your would be the dude and so peeping peeping just kind of looking around you know looking saying what's going on in there you know yeah <laughs> when i cat creeping around looking for a little store. snapper maybe do you think maybe you guys... a little 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 tuna yeah do you I think how you think... talking truth do you guys think it'll go over well if the next time you guys have sexual intercourse you refer to it with your partner as one eyed cat peeping? Uh, no i don't think it... the... uh, no no, no, no. no, I mean, I think the best thing that would happen store? would be getting a what and a laugh, <laughs> or, or calling in a seafood store right before you get to. <laughs> well, I'm going down to Arthur Treaches. <laughs> Do not. I don't say think that. that'll work. Do not say no. that. No. Never no. refer that to. Never. I don't think you should to... refer to a woman as a defunct. Don't uh, refer to it as Arthur Treacher's. No. All right. Nor Long John Silver's. I think that's just all wrong. All right. Here we go. Another <laughs> birthday. Another birthday. I'm going to do better about not revealing the name. April 17th. You did 1954. 
who was born on this day. Uh, Roderick, Kiwi Airman. Paul Rubin. Roderick George Toombs was born in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. What's up with Canada? You've a lot of these Canadian birthdays. I know it is Canadian. Was Canadian. it Piper? Ah, yes. The son of Eileen and Stanley Baird Toombs. He was raised in Winnipeg, Manitoba and attended Windsor Park Collegiate. Their colors were uh, purple and silver, home of the Royals. Yes. His best friend, notable alumni of that school, is Cam Connor, a professional NHL hockey player. His father was an officer with the CN Rail Police, a Canadian National Railway. After being expelled from junior high for having a switchblade in school and falling out with his father, Toombs left home and stayed in youth hostels. I should have known it. Last year, I watched that... uh... The, the documentary that they oh, did. Oh, you didn't remember the name Tombs. He, right. picked, he picked up odd jobs at local gyms, running errands for several professional wrestlers. As a young man, he became proficient in playing the bagpipes, though he, patient, uh, he repeatedly stated he was unaware exactly where he picked them up. He soon began earning money wrestling while still going to school. His first match in a famous organization was with Larry Hennig and the AWA. Friends of his played the bagpipes during his entrance while he was handing out dandelions. Meanwhile, the ring announcer had to announce something, but all he knew was that his name was Roddy. Subsequently, after seeing the pipe band, he announced, ladies and gentlemen, here comes Roddy the Piper. This gave birth to the name Roddy Piper. That's how we got his name. That's pretty cool. Rowdy Roddy Piper, baby. Yeah. Another Canadian that brought joy to America. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, God bless him, Canada. What Seriously. a great career he had, right? I mean, right. You guys, big Piper. I mean, Steve Piper was your favorite guy, right? Well, he was. He was one of my favorite guys. Yeah. No, like I, I, I had a you know a moral conundrum with that whole Jimmy Snuka thing because those were my two favorite wrestlers. Oh yeah. When the, know, the- I thought I had like beat the system because they didn't have any conflict, and then they fucking did, and then it, it was just like God damn yep. it. Yep, Rowdy. And then They Live is the greatest movie of all time. It is one of the best movies. <laughs> and now we're certainly going to- it, it, it's unless you could start comparing it to other John Carpenter movies and then they're just all good. <laughs> you know, but that's just my opinion. Well, let's jump back. We're at April 19th, 1954. We're getting close to you guys taking over. But before that, we're going to jump back to the Petrova affair. So Petrov, who uh, who was defecting. He decided to defect earlier in April. He never told his wife, Evdokia, Evdokia Petrova, of his Evdokia. intentions. Apparently, he planned to defect without her. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> so after falsely claiming that Australian authorities had kidnapped Petrov, the MVD sent two couriers to Australia to fetch Evdokia, his wife. Word of this leaked out, and on April 19th, there were violent anti-communist demonstrations at the Sydney airport as Evdokia Petrova was escorted by the KGB men to the aircraft. Evdokia, Evdokia. I'm trying to see if I'm saying that right. Anyway, on the plane, uh, on radioed instructions from Prime Minister Robert Menzies, a flight attendant asked her, again, Menzies is an unfortunate name, a flight attendant asked her if she was happy being escorted back to the USSR, but she did not give a clear answer and she was as she was racked with indecision. Defection could have severe consequences for her family, 
and the USSR. So, you know, she's assuming her, her family's going to be killed if she defects. So she's not sure what to do. Menzies decided that he could not allow her to be removed in this way. And when the aircraft stopped for refueling at Darwin airport, she was seized from the MVD men by ASIO officials in order to separate Petrova from MVD. The ASIO officials confronted them on the grounds that they were carrying arms, which it was illegal to do on an aircraft at that time. The ASIO officials ordered Petrova asylum, which she accepted after speaking to her husband by phone. And by now, it was the early hours of April 20th, 1954. Anyway, it became national news, and these photos are like famous, and older people probably remember this. Uh, the photos of Dokia Petrova being rough-handled by KGB agents at Sydney Airport and her agonized last-moment decision to defect with her husband made at Darwin Airport have become iconic Australian images of the 1950s. So I'm guessing any old Australians know all about yeah. this. I would uh, assume anyone in ACDC would have a good chance of remembering <laughs> this and men at maybe, work maybe maybe not brian johnson colin hay definitely knows this yeah no colin hay would um so this affair grew more dramatic when menzies sold the house of representatives that petrov had brought with him documents concerning soviet espionage in australia espionage in australia he announced that a royal commission would investigate the matter and they called it the Royal Commission on Espionage. Petrov's documents were shown to the commission members, though they were never made public. The documents were alleged to provide evidence of an extensive Soviet spying in Australia. Um, but in the aftermath, as a result of the defections, the Australian embassy in Moscow was expelled, and the USSR embassy in Canberra was recalled. Diplomatic relations were not reestablished until March 13, 1959. There were some political repercussions. There was some back and forth about whether or not Menzies was doing this because there was an election coming up between the Labor Party and the Liberal Party and things like that. This was all just a hoax. Um, uh, but according to some, as a result of the Petrov affair, Menzies was successful at the election, which uh, Labor, the Labor Party had been widely expected to win. He was in the Liberal Party. The Royal Commission continued for the rest of 54 and uncovered some evidence of espionage for the Soviet Union by some members and supporters of the Communist Party of Australia during and immediately after World War II, but no one was ever charged with an offense as a result of the Commission's work, and no major spy ring was uncovered. The Petrovs, having been given political asylum, were eventually settled in suburban Melbourne under the names Sven and Maria Allison and given a pension. Sven. Yeah, Sven. And Maria Alice. And that's where they got the name Sven in Voltron. Oh, okay. <laughs> that makes sense. Is that why Sven disappeared and like came back when he was fighting with the revolution? It could have been inspired. Because he was this. based on Petrov. I didn't realize there was such a heavy uh connection. connection to yeah. the American right. translation of that. Go Lion Voltron. But That's this fucking dope, dude. Is gonna bring us to April 21st when George Melenkov became the premier of USSR. And you guys have something to say about a congressional subcommittee. Oh, oh a three-day okay. televised investigation of the causes of juvenile yes. delinquency. Let me get uh I need to all the technical difficulties we had made me drink my Moscow mule. I have to get another you have to get another drink. Oh, please do. But go ahead and start. Okay. 
As Joe was saying, the United States Subcommittee on the Juvenile Delinquency held a trial at Foley Square. This subcommittee was established as a unit of the Judiciary Committee by a motion from Senator Robert Hendrickson, a Republican from New Jersey, with a budget of $44,000, approximately $429,246 today. The first on board was Senator Estes Kefeve, a Democrat from Tennessee, followed by Thomas C. Hennings Jr., a Democrat from Missouri, William Langer, a Republican from North Dakota, rounded out the committee. Okay. Senator Kofefe. That's not really how you pronounce it. I was isn't Kofefe? It, it's isn't not. I was Trump, really Trump hoping tweeted? that it was Kofefe, but it, it, it's not pronounced that way. It's Kofefe. I can't. It's, okay. it's a silly pronunciation we'll go, we'll go. that I'll just slaughter every time, which is how I got the saying Kofefe. <laughs> anyway, Estes. Senator Estes from the good Senator Estes from Tennessee replaced Senator Hendrickson from New Jersey as the chair at the time of the broadcast. Okay. The first of the, the first day of three of the televised hearings on the potential impact of comic books, particularly the ones of crime and horror and suspense Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Due to their graphic nature, had a negative effect on their audience of juveniles, and potentially led to the path of delinquency. Ah, uh, okay. Wait a minute. This is where I this this makes a little more sense to me because I was thinking this whole time they were just upset at superhero comics. No, I, for, no. I forgot. Superhero comics those. had nothing. Well, superhero comic. Few. Yeah, but it didn't have it. But they still had like certain things that. I mean, and I guess you also got to think about the time that they mm-hmm. were in, where you know, highly, highly misogynistic, um, oh, yeah, very racial. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Everything was, you know, pro. pro I want to say, I don't want to say pro man. It was pro white guy. Pro white yeah, guy. It was, yeah, yeah, it was just it was it was pro white guy. So you had a lot of issues brought up, you know, by mm-hmm. certain people like like. A lot, like you know, the same time this inquiry was happening, like there's this book that came out called "Seduction of the Innocent." Yeah, by, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Wait, a, is this uh, a book or a comic? It's a, it's a book. It's a book. It's a book. It was about done by comics. by this German American named Doctor Frederick Wortham, I guess, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And but like this guy, you know, he was he he was like a it was it's weird because this guy was a positive guy. He did so much. For racial equality, he had a lot to do with like um, Brown versus Board of Education, mm-hmm. but like he also felt that like comic books contributed to the delinquency of kids. And like yeah. even when they had him on like the panel or whatever, he was referencing kids that were at this. Um, it wasn't a halfway house; it was kind of like a reform house for yeah, juvenile like delinquent. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, it, it was. It was before you had juvenile jail, before you right. had juvie. But you it sent was, him to reform schools and shit. Right. So basically, like all of, all of the kids that he was getting his information from were kids who were, you know, kids that he had been around who already had underlying issues. 
Yeah. But it was just okay. like they made a sing- it was, But it was also just like, you know, like growing up, even before that, when you had like Westerns, where you had like Dom Store novels, things like yeah. that. Like mm-hmm. these, are, this is where like the kids of those days learned about, like, you know, you didn't want the kids to read the newspaper because there was too much going on in the world for them to actually read the newspaper. So you ended up having like what my dad called the funny papers, where they yeah. get to read like, you know, the comics yeah. of the, the comics were, and jammer kids. Yeah. yeah. The comics were supposed to be like things that make the kids just happy and think about super happy things. Yeah. But like the stuff that came out of this inquiry, like I was telling Steve right before we started, like how I went and I actually found the entire code and like the writing in this code. I'm like, even like, <clears throat> let's say if the book was about crime. Like you could you could put crime on the book, but crime had to be really small. Like it's almost like you was trying to hide the word crime, but the, mm-hmm. I guess they felt like kids wasn't smart enough. Like if, if a kid see like oh something fun like oh the big red balloon, it would have to be like let's say if the red balloon was something that killed people, it could be like it could say it could be called crime of the big red balloon, but the big red balloon had to be ginormous. And crime had to be so small that the kids' attention span would like immediately jump to, oh, it's a red balloon. It's okay yeah, it for them retain. to read kind of it. Right, right. Yeah. But it's like, ah, it's crazy. It's, it's pretty impressive how easily parents then felt kids were swayed. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's very, it, it, it's one of those things that I think we see repeated in different ways in every generation. Uh-huh. You know, it's before we blame D D for getting kids of the Satan, we yeah. said it was rock and roll. After D and D, we said it was heavy metal. Now then it's it video games. Now it's video games. But like even like, like this video dude, games. So this so my thing is like this dude is a, psychi- a psychiatrist. Like, yeah. you know, you're sitting there, you're supposed to be helping these kids out, but you already like this guy, this Dr. Wortham, he claimed that Wonder Woman, strength and independence made her a lesbian. Because oh, she yeah. was no, a no, like, woman, she, she was a lesbian. Yeah. Like this is the guy who was sitting there saying it wasn't okay for kids to read comic books. This yeah. guy. But then I'm going to say this guy did so much for the people. And yes, for him to be so simple minded. That's the, when it that's comes the to stuff. Like comic books. I think like he has stuff. like that one little, it's like a fucking blind spot. Yeah. You know? That's the thing that I think makes history so difficult is that is not, it's, we want everything to be so neat and clean and easy and that people are oh, good yeah. or people are bad and that's yeah. it. But people are not like that. No. People are complex. The only things that are binary are computers. You know, computers deal with zeros and ones. The rest of us but, use imaginary numbers. Like you can have people that are uh, that are like, you know, civil rights leaders, but they're homophobic. You know, right, right. And you can have, right. you know, like LGBTQ activists that are racist. It's like, wait a minute, like what? Exactly. You know, yeah. it's like that's that's the difficulty. It's like you read about somebody who did some great things. And they were amazing. I mean. Our founding fathers are the perfect example. It's like they've built this country, they built all this great things, and it's oh the, the experiment, the democracy, but they fucking raped 
ah, it's crazy what, what, you know, but that's just what the world is in society. Mm-hmm. But, but this, well, is, 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 this we... is interesting to me. So this commission, I, I got a lot of questions about this, but like, I feel like there's a common thread here and I'm just kind of spitballing here, but I'm thinking everyone blames the thing. It feels like to me, like with the comic books and with video mm-hmm. games, it's like these kids that you said are, were already in halfway houses, already troubled. Well, even I got, I mean, I've, I've read, I started reading a little bit of the book. Yeah. You know, you can yeah, find yeah, a, you, the book is, I oh, think, the seduction of the innocent. Yeah, it's, it's, it's in public domain. Should, yeah. yeah. But it's just like, you know, he made mentions of like this one kid who was like, I don't want to say he was fucked in the head, but for all intents and purposes, he was already fucked in the head. But then, like, his, 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 his parent kind of like forbade him from having guns in the house or whatever. He was a kid, he should have a gun anyway. But like, right. they, like so, but the kid ended up having the gun up on like a roof and he killed some some um some dude at the polo grounds and it was like well oh because, but then he also say he, he frequently read comic books about crime and that's what made him want to sit there and you know get a gun because it seemed kind of cool and yeah. killed this guy at the polo ground because these so, crime comics normalize like, this behavior and, see, and like and like this is this is this is I almost feel like Andy should have been on this one too because I know Andy would have had so much <laughs> yeah, Did, you know just dealing with like the history of like comic books but like yeah. you know there were so many comic houses that fell because of this oh you know, yeah where it like, was like 80 like percent of the industry like just the, 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 like mad magazine ended up that one of the the, the mad magazine the was what saved that man like right, he was right. the one that testified in the exactly. trial the publisher but, like, comic, yeah so like his comic house went under but he just oh, yeah, said, okay, easy well, comics. I, yeah, I can't do this. Let me just go ahead. And you know, that made Matt. I mean, it, it was it was kind of a good thing for him, but there were other comic houses that you had the like EC Comics, the guy you're mm-hmm. talking about, William uh William Gaines. Gaines, right? Gaines, like that dude, EC Comics had the Crypt of Horror, the mm-hmm. fucking what was it? Well, see, so Tomb so of I, Horror and Tales and the <laughs> Crypt. I had the entire I have the entire comics code right here. Wait, wait. Before we get yeah, into that, no, before we get into uh, that, fifty-four we, criteria, we, is ridiculous. We back up, like we jumped, we jumped so far into this uh, this pool already. And I, can we back up just a little bit to help understand how this started? Like, do you have like the origins of this this hearing? Like, is it this guy yeah. who wrote this book started this whole thing? Well, what? it was it was the senator, the senator that started the committee. Yeah, was reading the book. So and not read directly, okay, gotcha. not That's... directly. I read this book and I see there's a problem, okay. but it was like most, most Senate co- subcommittees now, as in then, were kind of looking for things to do. Okay. And there was a rise in du- juvenile delinquency. So they're like, we need to do a study that of why point. these kids right. are so doing shit. Because they so can't be because their parents don't pay attention, can't be because they're fucking broke, can't be well, all these societal reasons. It has to be some clear cut influence. Well, oh, it must be all these crime, suspense, and horror comics that are extremely graphic. Well, that's what I'm feeling like. It's like the common thread with all this. Like these are kids who haven't 
rough. Like they have a rough life and they're trying to escape like what comics mm-hmm. and everything is. It's escapism. It's like, yeah, right. I want to forget about my troubled, awful life. But, it, so, and that, but society at this time didn't feel as though that the material that was being put out by these comic houses was the escapism that these kids need needed okay. because these kids couldn't tell the difference between they didn't have a grasp on what between right and wrong enough to, to have someone other than their parents tell them that you know what you're reading isn't real. Some of the stuff was based on real cases, but the fact mm-hmm. that like they were being depicted for kids' pleasure as opposed to like like nowadays, you know, you have like you know, Andy mentioned in our last episode about how like there's a Batman comic. Where there's like basically full frontal back news. Oh yeah, yeah he's, talking about, he's talking about the last episode of Nerd School. Uh, right, last episode. <laughs> so it's like one of those things where you know, You're back then it was <laughs> back then comic books were was, was viewed as something that only kids read. Oh yeah, so no, to comic, have... comic writers didn't admit that they wrote comic books. They they didn't want to be associated with it. Because mm-hmm. that shit literally was for kids. They didn't, you know. right? Yeah. So when you end up having, you know, let's say there's like imagery in these books where like women are, you know, overly exaggerated sexually, or like there's like, you know, for the most beheadings and about, blood, yeah, and murder, true, true, like getting people getting pummeled in scenes of sex. It's like kids shouldn't be reading this kind of thing. But then they're like the, because of the kids are reading these kinds of things. They're taking these things for like, oh, this is the way things should be. Let me go out here and do these things. And that's what this committee thought. Saying kids, though, is like such a wide range. Like, I mean, there's 17-year-olds could be considered kids. Well, and this is the 1950s, so kids are probably 14 and under. Yeah. But even then, you and in those times, like, you know, we all have like grandparents, older kids, older Parents or whatever, and it's like in those times, sometimes fourteen-year-olds, like let's say in the twenties, in the twenties, fourteen-year-olds were getting married yeah. and having oh, families yeah, yeah. of their own kind of thing. And yeah. like, sure, the kids as they got older and like the time fly, you would think, okay, well, a fourteen-year-old in the fifties is not the same as a fourteen-year-old in the twenties. Like each generation, parents have extended the childhood, right? Accepted childhood. You but know? then, like, I guess to the to the government, that hadn't been adapted into the world of comic books, where these comics were being written, but they weren't necessarily being written for kids because well, they were they, they they were talking about a very small percentage of comics because we got to remember this is also the time of Popeye. This is right. also the time of. Archie. This is also the time of romance and Western comics. You know, Donald Duck. This is also, you know, this is getting the beginnings of Disney comics and things Mm -hmm. of that sort. But you're very much right. The there was a level of graphic, just blood and gore in the horror comics. You know, that they they already, before the creation of the comics codes, the comic code, editors did try to rein in. Mm-hmm. But it was because of these trials, because of yeah, these but, hearings, and right. the negative press yeah. from the but then, and it's, it's, it's also one of the things where a lot of, a lot of things also was 
when it came to kids, you know, like this psychiatrist, like this psychiatrist, you know, he was a part of the defense for Albert fucking Fish. Okay? Albert fucking Fish. If you don't know who Albert fucking Fish was, this motherfucker was a fucking cannibalistic pedophile. And yet here he was defending this motherfucker. Defending his motherfucker. And when it came to kids, when it came to kids, it was like, oh, you can't read this shit. Yeah, no, no. It was was really, it was really a beginning of the movement of, I think, over-preciousing children. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we we really started putting them on a pedestal because America as a country has already are always used children as a shield, an excuse, and a defense. Mm-hmm. You know, we hide well, yes. behind children to justify <laughs> our behavior, and we also put down like we put them as the reason why we do a lot of shit mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. doesn't need to be done, and they often don't fucking win in the long run anyway. So, right. all right. So these trials started and so what exactly happened? Nothing. Like, nothing. Nothing no, really I mean, happened. Nothing, no, no, all, all that really happened is that there was three days of some negative impact, negative uh, marketing for no, comics there, that destroyed there, that well, what ended up happening of the was, industry. But what they created like, the- I was going to just ask, was, did some of these comic book people, writers and authors and ink ink guys, and did they ink get on the stand and be like, hey, no. Well, there, there, there was one that yeah. got on that basically fucked his, like he, he was, he was kind of out of it and he kind of helped their cards a little bit. Oh. Um, well, they, they, they lawyered his ass because. Yeah. <laughs> he he thought he was being witty. He I mean he, he was a he, the guy behind Mad gets some Gaines, yeah, it was Gaines, yeah. 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 What's his name? Gaines. Gaines. William Gaines. Yeah. Oh, William Gaines. So Mad Magazine guy. Yeah. He Before Mad there. Magazine, like that was being EC Comics. Yeah, it was the same guy. Well, listen, okay, so so I, I found I found some of his testimony. Oh yeah. Um, let's see what I want. Of the guy, I can't, I can't do it. I don't know what <laughs> it sounds like. You, you know exactly what he sounds you like. You can He's assume what he sounds like in 1954, can't okay, yeah. Okay, so it says, so it was like, uh, let, let me start. So, Gaines originally had been scheduled to appear, to appear in the morning, but other witnesses apparently ran on longer than expected, pu- pushing Gaines' testimony until after the lunch. After the committee reconvened, however. Word them appeared to testify, and the committee moved him ahead of Gaines. Gaines later contended that the postponement of his appearance adversely affected his testimony. According to his biographer, Gaines would take, was taking diet pills, and the medication began to wear off. Uh-oh. Fatigue set in. Gaines recalled at the beginning, I, was really, I, was, I felt I was really going to fix those bastards. But at the time, <laughs> but as time went on, I could feel myself fading away. They were pelting me with questions, and I couldn't locate the answers. The young publisher unwisely chose to testify of his own volition and had the poor fortune to approach the stand with flagging energy to face the hostile interrogation of senators 
who had just respectfully heard Dickbag Wortham indictment of comics and who was ranked by his red, and he was rankled by his red dude cartoon, which I didn't even, I think I looked up red dude, but it was something he did where red he dude. shouldn't have done. And it kind of like, it, it worked against him. Okay. Although the cards were stacked against him, Gaines took the stand with an air of a defiance. In the first moments of his testimony, he declared, I was the first publisher in these United States to publish horror comics. I am responsible. I started them. Some may not like them. That is a matter of personal taste. It would be just as difficult to explain the harmless thrill of a horror story to a Dr. Wortham as it would to be explained the sublimity of love to a frigid old maid. So now he's, you know, he's on the stand. He's like, I'm going to show these fuckers. Like, like, Gaines remarks then grew more confrontational. Entertaining reading has never harmed anyone. Men of goodwill, free men should be very grateful for one sentence in a statement made by federal judge John M. Wolseley when he lifted the ban on Ulysses. John Wolseley said, it is only with the normal person that the law is concerned. May I repeat, he said. Now, now, listen, can you imagine this dude on the stand? Like, he, like, may I repeat, he said. It is only with the normal person that the law is concerned. Our American children are, for the most part, normal children. They are bright children. But those who want to permit prohibit comic magazines seem to see dirty, sneaky, perverted monsters who use the comics as a blueprint for action. Perverted little monsters are far and few between. They don't read comics. The chances are most of them are in school for retarded children. This is what this <laughs> dude said. Yeah, wow, no, right? Wow, right? We are afraid of... No, what are we afraid of? Are we afraid of our own children? Do we forget that they are citizens too? And in two, and entitled to, to select what to read or do. Do we think our children are so evil, so simple-minded, that it takes a story of murder to set them to murder? A story of robbery to set them to robbery? Jimmy Walker once remarked that he never knew a girl to be ruined by a book. Nobody has ever been ruined by a comic. Like, this dude, like, his yeah. death, like. Like, I just imagine him giving his testimony kind of loopy, but then almost sort of like how Jack Nichols was in A Few Good Men. Like, just having <laughs> time to question him. And like, who was this fucker to question me? Like, he doesn't write comic books. Like, who was he? Yeah, you no, know? Like, I, I just, he's had it. He's done. He's, it's the end of his day. Yeah, no, I. It's I, crazy. I, no, and, and, like you said, I think that that passion is what kind of bit him in the ass because mm-hmm. you can't tell senators they're wrong every now and again. You know? So, but basically, out of this, out of this inquiry, though, they did come. You did get the Comics Code authority. That was exactly mm-hmm. what I was going to ask. So, so the yeah. Comics Code came out now, like directly as a result of this. They had to come right. up with this. Well, right. they didn't have to. They just did. They they, they said we're gonna we're gonna self regulate. Yeah, and see, then that's yeah. what you and that's what you had like all this. these kind of like weird stipulations 
Like, so let me let me just read some of the code. Oh, dude, okay? yeah, no, just, yeah. Okay, right. is, the, is the comics code like a rating system? So parents, is know, that, like, it's it's a precursor it's, to rating systems, right? Right, but then it's also what the comic publishers, quote unquote, yeah. had to abide by. They designed it, and they right. held it. All right, so it says, if crime is depicted, it shall be as sordid and unpleasant activity. Policemen, judges government officials and respected institutions shall never be presented in such a way as to create disrespect for established authority. Like you can sit there and show the police doing whatever the fuck they doing, but you can't show them to be like, like you can show someone like, like you can show someone being disrespectful to the law. Like if any, any type of disrespect to the law was shunned, you know, they, they, Hydra would reign in this. In this, this, this thing. Yeah, I mean, anyway. that's the joke. Is a lot of a lot of nineteen fifties America that we laud is mm-hmm. fucking fascist. Yep. You know, it's just, <laughs> right. it's just fucking fascism. You know, criminals should not be presented so as to be rendered glamorous or to occupy a position which creates a desire of emulation. In every instance, good shall triumph over evil. And a criminal punished for his misdeeds. We'll get you do gooder. If the do gooder didn't get got it, it couldn't oh, yeah. be printed. What? <laughs> right. Oh yeah, no, Where? good guys won. I didn't know that it was in the comics code. Oh no yeah. comic magazine shall use the words horror or terror in its title. Oh. All scenes of horror, excessive bloodshed, gory or gruesome crime, depravity less. Sadism, masochism shall not be permitted. Um, what else? Uh, nudity in any form, as is an indecent or undue exposure, can have it. Nudity with matricious purpose and salacious postures shall not be permitted in the advertising of any product. Clothed wow. figures shall never be presented in such a way as to be offensive or contrary to good taste or mode. Like that was just one book where the um publisher in the book he had uh, um an astronaut. It was a black astronaut. And they didn't like he had to change that book because he made the astronaut black. Oh, oh. I forgot which book it was, but like he literally they would not print it. Like it couldn't it, it couldn't get again, it didn't couldn't get approved. Because the astronaut was black, and they felt it was so. I guess that felt that fell along the line of being kind of threatening or whatever. Because yeah, it no, was a I, black I, guy as an astronaut. Holy shit! That's threatening. It's it's like so much so much stuff. It, like anything that we're dealing with homosexuality. Yeah. Um. Anything that challenged a. Per- uh, proposed status quo. Illicit oh, sex relations are neither to be hinted at nor portrayed. Rape scenes as well. Sexual abnormality, abnormalities are unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Sexual perversion or any influence mm-hmm. to same is strictly forbidden. I think Judgment Day is the name of that one because of the astronaut one. Mm-hmm. What's the name of the, um, the, the, the writer? Uh, you see that? Uh, I thought I had it. 
weird fantasy number 18 right in April right okay uh i just like google that because i'm just like i just googled uh black astronaut comics code and it came up oh the story is by writer al feldstein and artist mm-hmm. Joe orlando uh from weird fantasy number 18 Orlando or Angelo? Yeah. Uh, Joe Orlando. Orlando, okay. Al Feldstein. Uh, but, yeah, it was objected to because the central character was black. A human astronaut from the Galactic Republic visiting the planet Cybrenia. And this, I mean, that, that's, like, if you, if you, like, how you just Google that, if you Google, like, comics code, yeah. And then, like, seduction of innocence and things like that. You'll see what they have. Like, there's um a couple of... There's one Captain America comic book where you see a picture of the Red Skull. And where, like, the Red Skull initially... I think the issue was printed, like, in 1941. Like, the Red Skull on that, when he looked... He looked like a skull and looked at really whatever. But then when they did the reprint, the reprint had the Red Skull looking sort of like how we saw Red Skull in Captain America. Like, he had, like... It looked like he had a mask on as opposed to like, like Skeletor. If, if Skeletor they they <laughs> yeah. could not make he man comic back, He-Man back then. He man could not have been made. Just oh, yeah. like the original Red Skull was, it did not look like a dude in a mask. Right. Yeah. But it like, looked like a red fucking skull on a body. <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I remember my grandpa really liked horror comics. Mm-hmm. So we always had access to horror comics and tales from the crypt and all that shit that's see, why i like I mean, all see, like horror. even like in the 50s i mean you know you did have like those superheroes that you had like Disney, but like kids back then you know it was all about cops and robbers well, yeah cops and robbers, stuff like that. And even Indians. even like the batman so it was mm-hmm. almost like you it was going to be that thing where like oh like you know you have crime being the major storylines in comics where now it's more fantasy and fan fan fiction like back then it was it wasn't yeah. back then it was law and order right mm-hmm. yeah so like when you had like you know captain america fight nazis you had batman fighting the mob you wouldn't be like <laughs> batman wasn't fighting um fucking the joker he wasn't fighting uh captain cole people like that like they weren't fighting against the same kind of thing so back then those kids all they knew was what you know like Al Scarface, Al Capone, untouchable stuff like that from their parents who grew up in like the 20s and 30s. So now the 50s is like we're still dealing with like mob type shit. Yeah. So it's one of those like you don't. mm. I was going to say, I think keeping in perspective that it's so hard to put yourself in this world, immerse yourself because we know what we know. But like in this time, we didn't have hbo max and like right. netflix and like marvel the mcu <laughs> and all that like yeah. this was their cool their world this right. was their cool shit you oh, know yeah. like, their, their cool shit was in comics and i, I, mean, and I just, just imagine i just imagine these people who, who expecting these kids to read comic books <laughs> it was like they were expecting some little some little kid like let's say if the girl was reading the comic she's flipping the page oh look it's jane cleaver <laughs> like just like looking at him, they're like, "Oh, wow! Look, he's skipping rocks." That's what this yeah. kid wanted to read a book about. Some kids skipping rocks. Like, <laughs> I'm thinking about this though. I'm just blown away that in April of 1953 there was a comic book about a black astronaut 
Mm-hmm. I, I'm surprised that that exists. Well, I mean, I'm not like, surprised they would boycott it, but I'm just thinking, and just all the conversations we've had with TBJ in 54 episodes of of uh, Nerd School is just like it really makes me realize like what that must have done for any kids who were black. That's important to see themselves as anything. Well, I mean, you have you have reference to kids. Like I'm, I'm watching. I've been watching this new iteration of Wonder Years, and it's like in the sixties. Oh. Early yeah, 50s. I watched a little bit. But it's of that a black movie. family, but you know that they, they like Don Cheadle. Yeah, but like he's in a school with his with his friends, and they're reading comic books. Yeah. So like you know, you had kids like they were reading. Com- so it's one of those things. Like as a black kid in the fifties, you pick up a book and you see like usually and like even some of the imagery like they had of like you know Africans, like some of that stuff was kind of banned too. Yeah, but it's like when you see something positive as a like as a black kid. Looking through that comment, like, oh, cool. Like, you're not for assuming you think, oh, you're like, well, I want to go ahead and shoot somebody. Because you were like, it'd be nice to see a black detective or a black astronaut and be like, yeah, yeah. it's just, I it's just yeah, yeah, it's just, it's just like subconscious stuff that we don't think about or talk about, but it's meaningful and it's real. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it's not going to make you, but it's important to see yourself. I mean, we've, there have been so many studies, it's important to see yourself. Somewhere. Well, like, even like you said earlier, even today now, they're like, some things. Like, you know, if you have, like, I don't have kids. Like, I have a young nephew. And I used to buy my nephew video games. Yeah. And we would sit there, we would play together, whatever. But, like, my, like, I think my, my nephew used to love 007 on in Nintendo 64. But my nephew wouldn't be like, oh, I'm playing 007. I'm inspired. I'm going around shooting people. Let me, like, he knew enough to be like, at like 12, 11, 10 years old, to be like, I'm not going to go outside and shoot a motherfucker because I played yeah. 007. You know, <laughs> like, Oddly enough, I think our parents and our adults have more time to help kids than mm-hmm. they did back then. You know, yeah. I think they were probably a lot more worried about it just because they weren't fucking spending time with their kids. They don't want the fuck they're doing. Yeah, they're too busy worrying about the cold war to give a shit about their yeah, kids. Exactly. exactly. They're, they're, they're too busy fucking working and drinking and... <laughs> That's exactly it. Taking whatever and, value you need to do, take to get you through your fucking day. As the one guy on here who does have kids, you, you, you've you hit it exactly on the head is the fact that, and I'm guilty of both sides, like of, of not when my kids were little, or my son was really getting into video games. His buddies were playing call of duty. You know, he's like seven or eight. And I'm like, I don't think that's good. I don't. That can't be good. Part of me is like, I've tried to play and I'm terrible at it, but I'm just like, <laughs> I was like, I don't think that much violence and war is good for a little guy. Uh, like you'll, you'll have right. plenty of time to play that when you get older. But the mm-hmm. key, when I started letting him, my son now plays GTA, we play GTA together and we're, well, see, that's what I'm saying. Like, so with me I, and my, as a me parent, and my nephew, the key mm-hmm. is, I'm just saying the key is, I'm sorry, I to cut you off, but I'm just like, which I'm guessing what you're going to say too, is like, I know him now and I know uh-huh. him well enough to know that he's not going to go out and shoot everybody. I trust him. Right. But it's it's just knowing his maturity level. Right, right. Exactly. Like, so like my thing was like, you know, like, like I would sit there and I would play these games with my nephew and it's just like, and then we had like that closeness. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's one of those things where it's like, I like, I like even just being around him, you know that you can say like, okay, well, you kind of want to trust the kid, but then also it's like, you don't automatically just go into it thinking like, oh, well, he's a young kid. And again, I don't have kids, so I can't say, but it's like, it's one of those things where a lot of times 
I, to me, it just it seemed like back in those days, they put so much onto their kids to, you know, do this, do that. But then when it came to them being by themselves, if they got them a comic book, it wasn't like they sat there and read it with them. No, no, yeah. like, like get like, out of here, it on, yeah. right? Yeah. Let me let me go smoke read my your comic book yeah. and drink, yeah. Wine. And get they trust the account. kid to do all their chores, yeah. but they don't trust Send the kid to the read a fucking comic. Right. Oh, and trust me, as little kids, there are times you want to just get out of here, go play with your shit, and let me drink and smoke. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> but 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 once you know them, you know it. But I started when my kids were little. We did Lego Batman, Lego Star Wars, and mm-hmm. there's no blood. It's just you hit a guy and he falls apart. He in the Lego the bricks, right? You know, and you know it's not violent. Those, those and are and good when my games. kid was real little, he's like six, like. That's enough for him. He didn't want to see, like he was worried about. But then it's also like, he was so, like, is there you blood? Know, not, I don't want to see blood. I'm like, okay, let's check out Star Wars because people get their head cut off and there's no blood. <laughs> On the flip side of that, nowadays, like you know, because Nintendo is popular again amongst families. Like I'm in a couple of groups on Facebook, like Nintendo, like a couple of gamers sex, over thirty groups. Oh, weird. <laughs> gamers Nintendo over 30 sex groups. gamers over 30 or whatever and like they're sitting there reading like some of the comments you know there are people in there like yeah i'm getting my kid a nintendo switch for christmas kids like six or like here's my kid is four year old four he's playing second sex, but he's playing like mario but it's one of those things where it's like and then you can kind of like you have parental rights and things like that but it's still like there is there is a bit about having a kid that you can't wait to recreate your childhood through their <laughs> eyes. Like, I couldn't wait to get him into, oh, I can play video games with him. I can do this mm-hmm. with him. I want him to like mm-hmm. this. And then you get to the point where he's like, my son's 16. He doesn't like the shit that I like. He likes some things that I like. But then, but then you also, it's almost like I, you, I you nurture them. Yeah. Like, friends, like, I always tell people, I grew, like, I grew up, like, my dad doesn't doesn't watch football. He he he, he might, you know, as, like as a guy, you know, like someone mentions a football game or something, or like he'll call me, be like, "Oh, you watching the game?" kind of thing. But he don't really give a shit about football. Yeah. My dad, my granddad, and my dad got me into liking baseball. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. To the point where like we would listen to or watch baseball together. Me, and my dad, growing up, used to always go to like the baseball game. That's what got me into baseball. Was spending time with my dad. Like I grew, yeah. I grew up with my dad, and I was still just with a dude with three sisters. Growing up, just spending time with my dad at the baseball game. That's you know why you know watching block and Brad. Austin. Right, right. But it's like yeah. one of those things where it's like spending time with the kid. Like yeah. my thing is growing up. Like I've, I've done things in my life that some people may never ever find out about. But it wasn't because you killed him. It man. was. No, it wasn't because it was in me kind of thing. It was like one of those things, like, even when I was younger, because of the upbringing, I knew better, like, at 12, if I read something, doesn't mean that I'm going to go out and commit that thing. Whereas, like, a lot of times, I feel like some of these kids who, like, even nowadays, you have, like, these kids that are, like, 12, 13, 14, they're killing people. It's like, you got to look at what their parents did. It's not necessarily like, oh, I played Grand Theft Auto, I seen this person, you know, this is like these games, when they come out, when they come out with these and develop these games, it's like things that are going on in the world. 
It has nothing like, oh, you know what? Let's make a game where we shoot and kill people in hopes that people in real life will play this game and think like, hey, let's go out and shoot and kill people. Yeah. It's like stuff's already out there in the world. It's art. It's just a portrayal yeah. of that. It's, it's, art is a, reflection of society. it's a reflection of society. A reflection of society. And, and life. And in fact, it's it's quite the opposite. Like, I would never, I'm the probably the least violent guy you're going to meet. Right. I, uh, but I love when I have a stressful day, I love to turn that on and kill some people. I'm never going to kill anybody. Because, it's, because it's, an it's an escapism. It's an escape. It's an outlet. And video games are for adults now. And it wasn't mm-hmm. then. Like, just well, even, even, I remember, like, comic books. I, rem- I remember there was still that whole notion that comic books were strictly for kids. I remember one time going into a dollar store, buying something, and I had a brown paper bag under my arm from the comic book store. Yeah. And this girl, the cashier, you know, at the time, you know, back in the day, when you had a brown paper bag and it was thin, first thing people thought was, it's porn. <laughs> so she asked me, she's like, uh, what do, you, what do you have? What's in your bag? I was like, oh, it's a comic book. And then she looked at me and she's like, don't you think you're a little old to be reading comic books? Oh. I was like, well, this comic book is a book that's rated for someone over the age of 17. And I almost wanted to pull a comic book out to show the imagery in this comic book <laughs> just to say, like, this ain't for your kids. <laughs> but it's one of those things where it's like, even if it was, like, it's one of those, like, like you know, you have kids now who could probably read books which were like, let's say, like a Spawn book, and be like, ah, eh, they may be like twelve years old, but if if they have the great, the the, the and they have a good upbringing, and if they're not already have this mental disposition for violence, they're not going to read Spawn and think that hey, I can get some chains and whips, light it on fire, go outside and you know sling it at someone around their neck and devour their their body of their soul. They don't think like that. But yeah. back then, I guess they just assumed that all kids were prone to violence. Like, eh, let me just, this horror comic, like, oh, this kid's going to read this. Well, book. if, if you gonna... think about it, maybe they were just worried because of their own tendencies to violence. Exactly. Just worried right. about, that's why they're so afraid of what the kids could do, because <laughs> they knew what they were capable of. Like, like, yeah, we, 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 objecti- exactly we objectify women. So well, in this all, book, you yeah. shouldn't have these women with these big breasts because now this kid's going to objectify a woman. So the whole much, time he's at the strip club, objectify the woman. So much of all kinds of, of, of vilification and hatred and fear is all self-reflection and self-fear mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. homophobia. They would say homophobia, guys, their biggest fear, guys who are homophobic are like, I don't want to be hit on. I don't want to be you know, harassed and sexualized because that's how they treat women and they think oh, that's what all men do. And so right. it's always like a projection of what you are and what you really do. I don't know, all this stuff. But that's great. We got way, way off track. But that's oh, yeah. but this is <laughs> but it all comes down to and we kind of hit this. We kind of meandered our way to it. But it's like good parenting is knowing your kid. And knowing mm-hmm. and being there and spending the time and and knowing they're not gonna do these things. So um with all and that being there to answer their fucking questions. Yeah. You yeah. know, with so, more than a hey, Google that shit. So <laughs> let me ask you guys this with the comics go. This is probably just gonna be something you guys just know from living in the world of comics. So obviously the comics code has been adapted and changed throughout the year. Is it like mm-hmm. a thing it's, years? Been, it's been it's, generally dropped. 
Oh, it's dropped completely. It's not even a like thing they anymore. like over. I think the last companies. What was it? I remember one was hold on to it. Uh, DC and RG Comics held on to it till 2011. 2011. 2011. It lasted in some form, not the form, yeah, not the, the form, form that, but it adapted throughout the years. Talked about, yeah, because yeah. I mean, because like even if you look at like some of DC, like mm-hmm. like they're they're like statuettes and, and like any issue of like Power Girl, Power oh, Girl, yeah. the, the move window, yeah, she's like this buxom woman. Oh yeah, and well, it's I mean, like it's over, like it's the, over the, the sexualization top. of females that all those aspects were gone from the comic code. By the sixties, yeah, like they didn't free love, baby, free love. Yeah, Yeah, they didn't make it. They didn't make it out of the fifties. They're like, all right, well, we're gonna keep all the blood and gore. I mean, and and to this day, you still have, you know, like Wonder Woman has gone through so many costume changes in the last few years. I'll say this: Mm -hmm. I love Wonder Woman. I dig the pants. Right, right. The pants are sweet, and like even Supergirl on it on. Is there the little like bikini bottom? No, no, the pants, no, the full length like, pants. Full, full, length full length pants. Like they, they, yeah. they've been trying to stick Wonder Woman in pants since the seventies, and it rarely works. And it's like I was always, watching Injustice the movie. Seen, I don't think mm. I even know what you're talking about. I don't know if I've seen Wonder Woman. Probably not. Probably. I mean, She's it's always so in underwear, like bikini. It's generally the bikinis, but no, there's in the latest animated feature Injustice, based on the comic, based on the video game. She's they got her in pants. It was so refreshing. Okay. Is it like a suit, like a pant suit, like Hillary Clinton? It, no. it might be like a two piece suit, like a pants and bottom type thing. Well, it, it, it's like a pants. She's got the knee high boots, got a halter top. Was there anything else about this? These hearings that we didn't well, cover. Art did a fucking wonderful job of it. <laughs> he really jumped in. All right. Well, this. Thank you guys for covering this whole thing. And it, and Gruff actually told me like he was like you should have Andy and Art and TBJ do this because it's the comics code. So I was like mm-hmm. real quick. I was like, and I didn't want you two to connect because I knew this would be like a love connection here with you two. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like kind of a cool thing. Uh, Because Gruff is a nerd, school nerd guy. Anyway, he could totally be a. uh, I I I could I could be I could be a visiting, visiting lecturer. A visiting lecturer for sure. Because he's definitely in the nerd category. I got a couple more things before we get out of April, though. So this is going to be the longest episode ever. Uh, (laughs) That's what editing's for. Yeah, I'll definitely do some editing. And I'm really happy to say that I was here for it. I was here for it. Here for it all. April twenty. Second, the U.S. Senate Army McCarthy televised hearings began uh, since we had all these televised hearings. So they do a lot of. It's, they, I guess they, they did this off to what in the nineties? Was it the nineties when we had the Adi North stuff? Oh, yeah. the, that was all these congressional hearings. That was the IRA they, Contra affairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it was before cable. Cameras. They had to put something on TV. Right. <laughs> but you got to think he, this time. TV was still new, like some yeah. stations. Like, it was like, like they were just like, "Fuck it, let's put it on." And yeah. They have grasping for stuff to be on. I'm like, I, well, my mom was just in town. She was telling my kids, and my kids were blown away. She was like, "Television went off at night." Like, <laughs> like was yeah, only, I remember was that. Only, television only <laughs> worked a couple hours a day, and you hear like, snow. <laughs> oh yeah, 
I remember waking up into the static because I'd fall asleep with the TV. But like on. in her time, it stopped at like nine o'clock. You know, it was like. Wow. Uh, but anyway, this concludes our broadcast day. Yes. Well, you guys remember Joe McCarthy? He was the guy who accused everybody of being communist, like McCarthyism mm. and all that. So yeah. this is the downfall of Joe McCarthy right here, April twenty second. Uh, it's the U.S. Senate Army McCarthy televised hearings. McCarthy had already been infamous for his aggressive interrogations of suspected communists, but he was a Wisconsin senator. Joe McCarthy earned more notoriety via these televised 1954 congressional hearings because he had turned his investigations to Army security, but the Army in turn charged him with using improper influence to win preferential treatment for former staff member, Private G. David Shine, who was a former member of the center staff who had been drafted. So he was using his preferential treatment to get him out of the war. McCarthy countercharged that the Army was trying to derail his embarrassing investigations of Army security practices through blackmail intimidation. When the senator tried to emphasize Army lawyer Joseph Welch's communist ties, Welch delivered his famous line. Let us yeah. not assassinate this lad further, Senator. You've done enough. Have you no sense of decency, sir? At long last, have you left no sense of decency? <laughs> so I don't know I if you... Sounds for you guys, but that's like a. I think I've heard that before. That's like <laughs> a famous thing, and so, uh, although McCart- McCarthy was acquitted, his popular support waned, and his political career was soon over because uh, of that moment. Th- these hearings dominated national television from April all the way to June. Wow, they were one of the first congressional hearings to be televised, and they got national attention because of McCarthy's notoriety. And the camera made clear his methods and manner, greatly weakening his popular support, leading to his censure by the Senate on December 2nd, 1950. Back when censure meant something. Yeah, when it really <laughs> meant something. Now that everybody's getting censured every five seconds. And the won. last thing, we're going to end April of 1954 on a birthday. Amy, Amy hates birthdays. Amy hates birthdays. Birthday is it? All right, see if you can guess this one. We're one in one. Born in the Brooklyn borough of New York City, his father, Kalman, collected jokes that he heard while serving in World War II. His mother, Betty, and her parents, Salim and Salah Hosni, from Aleppo, Syria, they're, nas- they're Jews, and their nationality was stated as Turkish when they immigrated in 1917, as Syria was under the Ottoman Empire. Salah's mother, Gerez Diane, who is this person's great-grandmother, was a member of the noted Diane uh, Rabinic family who traced their paternal ancestry back to the medieval exilarchs and from the exilarchs back to the biblical King David. Damn. This person's second cousin is musician and actor Evan. I can't say his last name. No. Larry uh, David. Close. This person grew Mel up Brooks. In- Massapequa, New York, and attended Massapequa High School on Long I know Island. This team colors, navy blue and gold. Team named the Chiefs. Notable alumni that went to this high school are Joey Buttafuoco and Mary Joey. Jo Buttafuoco, as well as uh, Brian Kilmeade and Brian Setzer from the Stray Cats. At age of sixteen, this person whose birthday it is spent time volunteering in Kibbutz Sar in Israel. Carl Reiner. 
He attended State University of New York at Oswego and transferred after a second year to Queens College City University of New York once he graduated with a degree in communications and theater before he got into stand-up comedy. Jerry Seinfeld. Jerry Seinfeld. Nice. Nice. There you go. Jerry Seinfeld's birthday, April 29th. Why didn't I keep that right away? <laughs> yeah, I was Car- way Carl off. Ryder, I was, Carl I was guessing way, way too old. Yeah, yeah, way too old. Yeah, <laughs> think about the age now. Uh, but yeah, Jerry Seinfeld is going to be 70 in, in 2024. Uh, but yeah, so that was Jerry Seinfeld's we birthday. We went T for one. T for one. Yeah, you guys did good on the one. Birthdays. Hey, man, now, we, I mean, we, they were all guests, right? Those were good guests. And when I first did the birthdays, I would sprinkle in like movie titles of things they've been in just to like find puns. But I didn't well, put that you much. You had a harder in. audience. Like, I mean, Art and I were actually actively trying to listen to you do <laughs> birthdays. I mean, nothing is Amy. Part of the reason why I like listening to Amy and you talk about birthdays is her complete and utter lack of interest in it. I think that's a nice dynamic. Which reminds me, I looked up on CastBox, which is a an app that I don't think a lot of people use for their podcast. Yeah, that's what I, I actually use CastBox in my podcast. Do you use it? Because if, if yeah, that's one up, of my man. If you look up American timelines on there, mm-hmm. that's the one we I made quite a bit of fun of somebody who gave us a uh, an angry review. Like he actually is that though. I think I remember seeing that comment. The Brent Nelson guy uh, who mm-hmm. hated me, but like, right. and he was like, "Man, if he would just shut up, this would be good." Because the woman is okay, uh, <laughs> but. I happen to be just looking on there again, and I hadn't looked at it since. It was just this one guy, Brent Nelson. I was like, oh, just one guy hates us. But then I just downloaded CastBox again the other day, and I have to read this. This is from this past August. This guy named Mike Miles. Uh, I got I to. <laughs> it, like, it is like this segment should be called. Joe Reed's main tweets, yeah. And he said Mike Miles. Now here, I worked with a guy named Mike Miles. It's spelled differently though. So at first I was like, mm-hmm. Mike, I, I thought we were good friends. But this guy in August 20th of 2021 said, Could re- American Timelines could really be a great podcast, but the husband is a loudmouth, disrespectful asshole. He ruins it. <laughs> he said he ruins it. Not funny. Shut up and let your wife talk. And so <laughs> I was just like, oh, my God, I guess. I mean, at the beginning of American Timelines, that was what I thought the shtick was, like her mm-hmm. trying to do a true crime and me trying to be funny. And uh-huh. and it was on purpose. But I was like, boy, this guy really hated it. I, I'm waiting for the moment that I go through and read the comments on some of ours where someone's really giving me shit. Like, I, I want to be shitting on. I want to be <laughs> shitting on the way Andy sometimes shit on me. Not to be confused with me liking scat porn, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just want to read the comments one day and be like, wow, this damn art star. Sometimes this guy gets like, what is he like? Some sort of fucking Nazi? Like, I just can't wait to see. I don't want to be called the Nazi, but I just can't wait to see someone literally come for me in the comments. I, I think that's going to make my day. I haven't seen a lot of those on Nerd School. Like when you can, um, when you can elicit that type, that depth right. of an emotional and show that, yeah, yeah, you've made it. 
Then you've you made it, Joe. Yes, you've done something. You can piss somebody off. <laughs> As someone that used to really enjoy pissing people off at my job, <laughs> like the customers, like it was something. Like it, 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 it was something special when I'd walk down the street and strangers would tell me to fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. I feel great now. It's like wow, oh, I. Uh, it's something I made a difference in someone's I life. Did, yo. I Good just or bad, know, you made a fucking difference. I'm just waiting for the fan art for nerd school, the fan art of Art Star, like destroying somebody or something. Like that's what we need. Um, but yeah. Anyway, <laughs> at the same time, I'm destroying someone, but I'm cutting a nice furry rabbit, rubbing its head like a uh, Doctor Evil, and or like well, a. And you're gonna have to figure out how you're gonna deal with groupies, Art Star. That's a whole other thing. <laughs> and the and on the Gruff and Loud show, which is a YouTube channel uh we sold our first merch we sold a drawstring bag somebody's got a grout gruff and loud drawstring bag. someone will be very surprised when they get that in the mail and go i did not i don't remember this (laughs) (laughs) how did did i end up with this but hopefully they wear that around and people see that gruff and loud show what's that Mm -hmm. watch it so thank you for being here gruff from the gruff and loud show and lord artemis prime from the nerd school podcast uh, this was More fun. Than a pleasure, yeah. Joe. Mixing from... you two together has been fabulous, uh, just like I thought it would be. Uh, and 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 Gruff showed me sweet battle cat that he had. Yeah, I oh. know. And and <laughs> art's just as wonderful as I dreamed. <laughs> You're dreaming about Art Star, huh? Well, only in my waking times. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe. American Timelines. Thanks for listening to this super long episode of 1954. We had fun. We went off on some tangents, and you guys are fun to be around. Uh, so I'm definitely gonna bring you guys back. And we are available for bookings. Yeah, these guys are available. You can reach them at. Oh yeah, what's your Twitter again, Art Star? Uh, Art Star version uh, Art Star V9 at Art Star V9. Gruff, you're not on Twitter, are you? No, no, you can reach me through Joe. American Timelines in Nerd School. Just reach out to get a hold of me at History for Jerks, and I'll send him an email. I'll send him a postal letter. Yeah, I, 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 I'm exclusively snail man. I'll send him a telegram. Um, I gave my postal carrier a, a, a Christmas card every year. Thanks for listening. It's time Thanks for listening. Chuck Berry. It's getting hard to get it back. Ego Trip is the greatest band of all time by their music.